illumine our path, scatter the darkness. Lord, give us tender hearts to receive everything, the whole counsel of the gospel. We love you, Lord. We honor you. Draw us deeper into your presence today through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Good morning, everyone. They turned their backs on the doors of Orthanc and went down. The riders hailed the king with joy and saluted Gandalf. Well, that is done, said Gandalf. Now I must find Treebeard and tell him how things have gone. Anybody read Lord of the Rings? Yeah? Well, unless you had read it recently or read it at all, uh, you wouldn't be able to make a whole lot of sense of that little snippet, would you? Maybe if you saw the movies, but you needed the greater context of the story to make sense of the small part of the story, right? Friends, it's the same with Scripture. Now, you know I believe in the ministry of healing. We believe in the ministry of healing at this church. But um, there can be a problem with that because in circles where healing is emphasized, sometimes it is extracted from its greater context in the picture, in the history of redemption, of what God is doing to save the entire cosmos. And we don't want to make that mistake. So today we're going to look at and talk about healing in the gospel where we see uh, in the synagogue in Luke chapter 13. Then we're going to look at the bigger picture and the significance of that so that we can understand uh, the snippet, so to speak. Now, um, we're going to be in Luke 13, so if you want to follow along, we're going to work through that passage a little bit this morning, um, if you have your Bible or if you want to follow along in the bulletin. Now, the immediate context of what's been going on is that Jesus has been uh, dividing Israel. Remember last week he said, I came to cast fire on the earth, and oh, would that it were kindled. He, he has come to bring uh, the fire of judgment that separates believers and unbelievers, those who will follow him into eternal life and those who would reject him. And what he's doing is he's speaking, you know, who is his primary audience is Israel, right? Um, and so he's calling his fellow Israelites to turn from immorality and dead religion to the living God who's calling them into relationship. Friends, isn't a living relationship with a loving heavenly father so much better than dead religion? Yeah? Can we get an amen to that? Yes. Now, um, let's look right at Luke 13 and jump right into what is happening in the synagogue. Uh, Jesus is teaching. It's not, not abnormal for him. And it says, behold, there was a woman who had a disabling spirit for 18 years. You see, Jesus's eyes are always surveying the room. His eyes of compassion for those who are broken. And he uh, says she was bent over, could not fully straighten herself, okay? As a person with scoliosis, I can somewhat relate, although her, her condition is very extreme. And um, he calls her over, right? This is a woman who's on the uh, outskirts of society because of her condition in the Jewish community. She is unclean because her body is broken. And so Jesus calls her over and he says... Woman, you are freed from your disability. You see, um, there's no, if it be thy will, Father. Let me say this about the woman with the, uh, the condition. Jesus dignifies us. And, um, you know, so 
So many of us struggle with poor self-image or low self-esteem and things like that. Imagine what this woman would have dealt with in that way, right? There is, you know, sometimes there's a greater point to this gospel passage, but there is sometimes indirectly a, a sort of um, emotional element to it, right? That uh, Jesus cares for people who are who are broken both socially uh, and physically. And so with compassion, he calls this woman over, stands her up in front of the rulers of the synagogue who would have been going, oh, it's an unclean person. We can't come close to her. And, and Jesus not only comes close to her, he puts his hands on her. And this is kind of a indirect point to the passage. And I say something about it in a minute, but um, remember in the Jewish community, somebody with, there were certain things that if you came into contact with them, they would make you ritually unclean. Dead bodies, people with broken bodies or certain diseases, uh, things like that. And so the, um, the thought was we don't go by people who are broken because we don't want to get infected ritually and then have to go make purification for ourselves, right? But then Jesus comes and he says, guys, you're missing the thrust of everything. You're missing the heart of what God wants to do and what it means to be holy. And Jesus would touch lepers, the sick, the dead. And guess what? He didn't get infected. They got infected with his healing power. You see, and it's the same thing that's uh, what's happening here is that Jesus is uh, demonstrating what we could call his contagious holiness. When he puts his hands on this woman, goes from being bent over to straight. The Episcopal Church did a study in the early 20th century and uh, said... Our conclusions are that uh, healing for the human body is actually the will of God for, for human beings. And then they said, so the, the, thus, it is um, not uh, biblical to speak those faith-destroying words, if it be thy will. Right. That was the conclusion of studies and scholars and people who were looking at experience and healing testimonies and looking at scripture and theology and so forth. And never do you see uh, it in scripture that when Jesus prays for healing, he says, if it be thy will, father. Right. So this brings us to um, actually brings us to a big question um, about understanding the will of God in healing. Here's the quote I was looking for. <laughs> uh, the the. Uh, Results were this. They said, the healing of the sick by Jesus was done as a revelation of God's will for man. No longer can the church pray for the sick with the faith-destroying, qualifying phrase, if it be thy will. Whew. Friends, if you think it's God's will, listen to this. If you, uh, if you think that it's God's will for you to remain sick for some greater purpose, then why are you rebelling against God's will and taking medicine and going to doctors? You see the logic there? Do you see the logic? Now, I'm not saying that God is not sovereign, okay? He is. There are instances that are unique in Scripture when God afflicts people with sickness for a severe judgment that is called for, okay? I'm not denying any of that. But the general will of God is for people to be healed. Now, verse 13, Jesus lays hands on her and she stands up straight because his power has flowed through her. Friends, Jesus wants to, to share that power with us and gives it to us. He wants us to be a conduit of healing, of his healing power. He says in John 14, the one who believes in me will do the works that I do. Very truly, I tell you, he will even do greater works than these because I am going to the Father. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it so that the Father will be glorified in the Son. The Father is glorified when we heal the sick. 
The Father is glorified by it. Now, um, he says to his disciples in Mark chapter 16, when he commissions them, he says, all these signs will accompany those who believe. Say, I believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. You see, we can't believe Jesus' words about the forgiveness of our sins and then disbelieve him when he says, we will heal the sick. Everything Jesus says is full of grace and truth, isn't it? Do you believe that? Friends, we as a church need to start praying our hearts out for healing in our midst until we start to see the breakthrough. And I would say we have seen breakthrough, and you're going to hear about that in a minute at the end of the sermon. But we need to pray because that sort of faith for healing doesn't come by spending five minutes in the car on the way to church, right? Because it's about intimacy with the Lord Jesus to let his power flow through us. Now, <clears throat> Jesus said to his disciples in Luke chapter 18, he told them a parable about being persistent in prayer. And he said this, and will not God give justice to his chosen ones who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the son of man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Imagine him saying that, hanging his head low. Now, many people who walk with an anointing for healing today, and I can give you names and you can look them up and watch their healing ministries on uh, on the internet, but they will tell you many people that they prayed for the sick for months or so, in some cases years before they started seeing a breakthrough of healings regularly because they were growing in faith, right? They were growing and consecrating their lives to the Lord so that his power could flow through them. St. Paul wrote in uh, the letter to the first letter of the Corinthians, he says, eagerly pursue the greater spiritual gifts, eagerly desire the greater gifts. What does eagerly mean? It means with 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 zeal, with fervency to because God wants to his Holy Spirit wants to work through us in ways of which we're not even aware yet because he wants people to see his glory and his goodness. And so we have to eagerly pursue this. Now, the only way to get there, friends, I'm telling you, it's just not easy. It's not if you just say one prayer a day, dear Lord, please give me greater spiritual gifts. Amen. Dear Lord, please give me. It's through fervent prayer, fasting, consecrating our lives to God. And this is a big one, taking risk. John Wimber always said, faith is spelled R-I-S-K. Because if God sees that you're not actually going to, sometimes he doesn't give us gifts or increase gifts on our life uh, because he, he doesn't want to have to bring judgment for us being poor stewards. But when he sees a willing soul who is able, who's willing to take risks and practice his gifts and make use of them and bear fruit for the kingdom, he's going to give more. Right? I was at uh, First Watch in Oviedo the other day eating lunch and, uh, man, it was such a good day. Anyway, um, there was a lady who came in with her friend and I saw her arm was in a cast and they went down, they were having lunch and I was eating my lunch and I felt the Lord saying, are you, you going to really do this healing thing? Why don't you pray for the people with, uh, arms and slings and so i uh, went over to them after i was finished with my meal and i said excuse me i'm so sorry to interrupt your lunch but uh, i saw your arm was in a cast and what happened she said oh are you gonna pray for me great because i need it they were they were uh catholic christians and um so I, I prayed with her and she had a rotator cuff thing going on and i said oh when you get home and you take your arm out of the sling try to do something that you couldn't do before you know i don't know what god did with that but i know this i know that i am going to pray for the sick until i start seeing them touched by the power of jesus and I'm not going to stop until I see it because I have seen it. <laughs> now, there's a bigger issue here. 
The, the issue is this, am I willing to run hard after intimacy with God so that I start seeing Him release supernatural power through me and through my life? Or will I settle for coming to church on Sundays and being a good person? Boring. Come on, friends. There's so much more to the Christian life than that. There's so much more to the Christian life than studying fine points of doctrine and, and, and coming to church. There's so much more that God has for us. You see, I don't know how any church can read this book and be okay with doing church and not having miracles as a central focus in their gathering. I just don't get it. The more I read this, the more I study it, the more I even study the doctrine that comes out of it, I'm flabbergasted that we aren't more focused on this. You guys who are in the Acts class in the morning, you're with me, right? I mean, it was just the bread and butter of the early church to walk in power. Now, Jesus heals, and we've got a grumpy religious guy who doesn't like charismatics healing in his synagogue. And he says to Jesus, or he says to the crowds, hey, 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 hey. There are six days on which you can perform work. This is the Sabbath, and you're not supposed to work. And healing is work. It can wait till Monday. The lady's had her condition for 18 years. She's not going to be any worse off or better off if we wait till tomorrow. Or Sunday, it would have been for them. Friends, it is never a good idea to quote a Bible verse against Jesus. Can I just uh, share that piece of counsel with you? Satan tried that in the wilderness, and we all know what his end is. Okay. And um, what, what's going on here is that this uh, ruler of the synagogue is quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 13 and 14. And uh, Jesus, uh, he turns the Bible verse back on the guy. And he says, hey, 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 don't forget what comes next in that verse. It also says, uh, on that day you shall not do any work, you or your son or daughter or servant, or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock. And he says, I know you. I've seen you with the other rulers of the synagogue. You all take your ox and your donkey. You untie them from the stable and you walk them to the water to get a drink on the Sabbath. That could wait till Sunday, right? <laughs> Never a good idea to uh, cherry pick verses and, and try to proof text Jesus. <clears throat> you see, they had wrapped the law. There wasn't, it wasn't even a law that you couldn't heal on the Sabbath. It doesn't say that. But they had wrapped the law in extraneous traditions to try and protect it. And what they had done is lost the heart of the law. And they lost the heart of what Sabbath was supposed to be. And we're going to talk about that in just a minute. Now, what's the big picture here? Is healing just a nice thing that Jesus does for people? Is it an add-on to his ministry of forgiving sins Was he, when he's in like a particularly good mood? Oh, I'm having a good day. I think I'm going to heal somebody today. <clears throat> um, there is a study done of the Gospels of all the narrative material in the Gospels. 38% of it is Jesus healing people of the stories in the gospel. 38%, almost 40%. That should grab our attention. You think it was important for Jesus to make bodies whole? Now, <clears throat> there's a bigger picture here, right? Just like there's a bigger picture, and you have to read this, and I highly recommend it. It would only take you like 10 minutes. Um, there's a bigger picture. Um, Jesus says that this woman was bound by Satan for 18 years. Sometimes, not always, sometimes sickness, disease, is directly related to an afflicting spirit. And we see that throughout the Gospels. Not always, but sometimes. Now, here's the thing. What's happening in the big picture view? Jesus is taking uh, back the world from Satan, who gained authority in the Garden of Eden when humanity rebelled against God and handed him the keys. And Jesus is taking authority back. He's taking the world back. 
with the inbreak of the kingdom of God. So this scene is just a glimpse of what's going on in the spiritual realm. This Jesus in his life ministry, particularly in his death and resurrection, defeats the powers of sin and death and Satan. You can say alleluia to that. <laughs> when Jesus heals the sick or he delivers someone from a demon or he raises someone from the dead, he's bringing order to the cosmic disorder that results from a world bro- broken by sin. One Bible uh, scholar put it like this. He said this great about this little scene in the synagogue. He says, this woman's illness has a physiological expression, but is rooted in a cosmological disorder. See, we don't think, we think about sickness real small like this. It's just part of life. It's rooted in a greater disorder. And it's a part of a broken cosmos because of sin and sickness. Now, um, Peter was preaching to the Gentiles in Acts chapter 10, and he said this, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. He went about doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, for God was with him. You see, sickness and disease result from sin. It's not God's will like he's just grumpy with some people and is like, I want you to keep your disease, right? And that's why the good news is so good, because because there's a God who calls us into a place of cleansing and forgiveness of our sins and wholeness of our souls, if you will, but also wholeness of our bodies. Now, I want you to consider something with me. Just as the Holy Spirit is called a seal in Scripture or a down payment on our full salvation when we're glorified and we're completely free from sin, The healing of sickness is a down payment. When healing happens here on earth, it's a down payment that signifies the total restoration of our bodies that we will have in the resurrection. You see that? I learned that recently from someone else. I thought that was pretty mind-blowing. Now, you have to see this. Remember, I keep talking about bigger picture. What Jesus is doing in and for Israel is a sign of what the creator God is about to do and is doing for the entire creation. So every little thing that happens, like a healing or a deliverance, is a little symbol of what God is doing for the whole creation, which is to restore it all. Remember Revelation chapter 21, Behold, I make all things new. And so much of what Jesus does, like in the synagogue today, demonstrates how the kingdom of God is present in his ministry. And how he wants the kingdom of God to be present in our ministries. You see, this healing is a fulfillment of prophecy that was spoken about uh, in many places in the Old Testament scriptures. But let me give you one. Uh, Isaiah is talking about when God will come and deliver and and, uh, uh, visit his people and deliver them. And he says this, Then will the eyes of the blind be open." And the ears of the deaf unstop. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. You see, isn't God good? One author says it like this. These miracles are like windows through which we catch glimpses of a renewed creation. From which Satan and his demons have been cast out. Sickness and pain are to be no more. Death itself gone forever and the creation restored to its original beauty and harmony. No trace of sin or sin's effects will deface or defile God's new creation. I can't wait. Now, Jesus heals her on the Sabbath. Sabbath 
was a celebration of God's liberation of his people in the Exodus when he took them out of slavery and bondage in Egypt, took them through the Red Sea miraculously and brought them out to head towards the promised land. And Sabbath was a celebration that they were commanded to keep. It was a day to be a day of rest, of trusting in and celebrating the grace of God. A day of wholeness. Jesus says, the Sabbath was not made for man. A man was not made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man. It's a gift. And so it is actually, Jesus is saying to the rulers of the synagogue, the most appropriate day for someone to be made whole. Now, here's the thing about Sabbath. Sabbath points us to the eternal rest in Jesus Christ that was won for us through the cross. This is big, big picture stuff here. Because God's desire to overthrow the work of the devil, First John tells us the Son of Man appeared, the Son of God appeared for this reason, to destroy the works of the devil. God's desire to overthrow the work of the devil and to make all things new, including, including healing of the sick, is done through the cross of Jesus. When Isaiah the prophet is prophesying about the suffering servant who's going to come and die on behalf of his people for the forgiveness of sins, he also says this, Surely he has borne our infirmities and carried our diseases. We mustn't eliminate this from the gospel. That's an effect of the gospel. It's not the heart of the gospel. The heart of the gospel is that we've forgiven of our sins and made righteous and blameless before a holy God but a result of the gospel that needs application in the world is that Jesus already died for the diseases and the, and the sickness in the world. Now, if uh, this is how I illustrate it when I'm teaching on this. If um, somebody developed a cure for cancer and it's, you know, it comes in a little shot like this, the cure has been achieved, but now what needs to happen for all the cancer patients scattered throughout the globe? It needs to get applied because it's already been achieved and it needs to get applied friends in church the church's uh, call is a ministry to proclaim the gospel the forgiveness of sins the healing of bodies deliverance from demons and we cannot ever uh, make the gospel too narrow because god has called us to proclaim wholeness for both the soul and the body i don't know about you but I don't mean any offense here, but I'm tired of simply praying for God to guide the surgeon's hands or to give wisdom to the doctors. Now, those things are, are, are good. We want doctors to have wisdom, and I'm not telling anybody to stop going to the doctor. But I want to be, and I want to be a church who prays for the sick before they can even get to the hospital. Friends, we will see breakthrough if we eagerly desire and we eagerly pursue. God does not lie in his word. He wants to heal the sick. Eileen, would you come up here? Eileen's going to share a testimony with you. I'm going to just hold this for you so you can have a microphone. God's already been working here. And uh, so... 
when we when we when we discover that God has done something amazing, um, we don't ever want to keep that testimony secret because the testimony glorifies God. And when we when we speak the testimony and we glorify God, not only do we build faith in the lives of other peoples, we give glory the glory to Him that He wants to receive. Remember, Jesus says, "You will do these things in My name, so that the Father will be glorified in the Son." So, I'm going to let you share. Hold this for you. Okay. Um. A lot of you know me already. I'm a cradle Episcopalian, and like most people my age, I believe in the tradition of the right one service and writing thank you notes. <laughs> and that's pretty much the depth of it. Been doing it for a lot of years, and the The thing is, about five years ago, I spent the night in a hospital, and as can happen, I picked up a staph infection. That's a bacterial infection that years ago, when my kids were little, you put some calamine lotion on it, and it went away in a couple weeks. Now, in North America, it's a MRSA, especially to people who are very young or older and compromised immune systems. So it was diagnosed about a month after my hospital stay, and for the next five years, it got progressively worse. There would be times when I'd get a mosquito bite on this arm, and I'd get such a big open infected sore on my leg, I couldn't get my shoe on for two or three weeks. And it just keeps progressing. And it had gotten to the point last spring when I was, you know, I'd done all the research. I'd been treated by three different doctors over those years. And I was starting to think about getting organized because I figured this was going to take me out before old age did. And My internist said, at this point, I was taking two antibiotics three times a day, every day, for months. And my internist said, you know, I think it's time for an infectious disease practice, because I've done all I can do. And they have access to experimental drugs, and they can put you in the hospital and IV them, and sometimes make progress against these things. And so I said, okay, good. He sent me to this wonderful practice on North Orange. And um, they interviewed me, and she said, I need to get all the records. You go to this and this doctor where I can't access the records and get them, and I'll get the rest from the hospitals, and I'll see you in a couple of weeks. Well, the second to the last Sunday in May... I don't know how many of you remember, but Father Cameron just went all Pentecostal on us. (laughs) I mean, he started talking like he did today about this healing and Episcopalians are doing healings and having healing services. And it's okay to believe that healing exists in today's church And he just went on and on and on. And 
by the end of that service, he said, we're going to have a healing service here on June 9th, 7 o'clock in the evening. Be there and ask for your healing. And I left church that day, and I told him, today was my day. Thank you for that message. <laughs> but you, you um, just to clarify, you just, like, initially, it, it, you knew it affected you well, being I, there, I but felt you, hopeful. Fe- you felt hopeful. That's okay. why I thought it was my message. I thought, I'm going to go to this service on June 9th, and I, I think I might just ask for healing. I think it's possible, maybe. And with that, I felt, didn't realize how bent down I was mm. about this thing, because it had just been so insidious for so many years. I just felt like a rock was off my shoulder. I had hope. Wow. And I went, did the rest of the tests, the blood draws and stuff I was supposed to do for the infectious disease lady, and... I went back to her um, for the follow-up appointment where she was going to make a program. And she came in the little room, and she had folders and papers, and she had her laptop and everything. And she puts everything down on the counter and sits down. And she said, well, oh, my goodness, this is going to be bad. And she said, I have been through all your records all the doctor's notes, hospital labs, and especially these labs I had you do last week. And I don't know what to tell you except that one thing I'm sure, you do not have a MRSA. Praise God. Can we give him glory for that? You do not have a staph or a strep or any kind of infection. Your immune system is perfect. It's not just in the in the range, it's perfect, right in the middle. And she said, I want you to stop taking all these antibiotics and start taking probiotics and get your gut rebuilt. Mm-hmm. And I'll see you in a couple of months. Well, I didn't know what to say. I you were just, picking your jaw off the floor at this point. Yeah, I was just okay. And and I went home and and thought about it and then I called Louise because Louise has been in OSL for years and years. That's a healing prayer ministry. She's a prayer warrior. I thought she'll know what the heck this is. And I called her up and I told her the story and she started laughing. She said, You're not gonna have to wait till Sunday. You got your healing. Yeah, amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> she didn't even come to the, the healing worship service yet. <clears throat> Did you think? And she said, I know so. Call Father Cameron. So I called Father Cameron and I talked to him. And he he started laughing when I got through the story with joy. And he said, yes, you have your healing. And I said, but there wasn't any lightning and the whole church wasn't praying. and And it wasn't that moment. And he said, It doesn't have to be a moment. Mm -hmm. It's a moment of belief. Mm -hmm. And it can happen in a lecture hall or at the supermarket or in a field or any place. It's a moment of belief. And that's what he was saying again today. And that's what it is. 
it's one thing to be faithful. You can walk around on your knees and be faithful and do all the rituals and do everything to be faithful. But if you can believe for a nanosecond that maybe it wasn't just the early church, maybe belief that Christ died for even you or me is enough. And I just thank you, Jesus. Yes, thank you. Thank you, sister. Oh, whole. <clears throat> Friends, that's amazing. Um, you see, God is sovereign and he heals us. See, this is such a, um, this is such an encouraging testimony to me because it tells me that Jesus is walking up and down these pews on Sundays when we gather for worship, looking for that faith. I love how she just didn't, before she heard that the idea that God is healing today, she just, she didn't have, she didn't even pursue it. But then when she heard the word of God preached, something changed here. Her image of God, his, her, her image of his desire to bring healing to the body, it like a rock of weight, like lifted off. And then God, it was like the, the blockage that just needed to be removed so he could pour his healing into her body. Doesn't that inspire you? All right, let's stand together and worship.